You ready for some word today? Yes. Praise God. Let's, let's do this. If you would, if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, find 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. If you are new to church and to the Bible and you don't know what a Corinthians is, that's totally okay. Listen in the best you can. And uh, some of these I'll put up on the screen for you. Others I will not because I would prefer for Christians over time to be familiar with the scriptures. All right? Long-term plan there is that. Short-term, I'll throw them up on the screen. Long-term, you've got to know them yourself. Amen. Because when the enemy comes at you like a flood, you need to know that the Lord is going to raise something up against him. See a standard, yeah. Uh, and but you need to know that verse for yourself. And you can't call me every Tuesday or Thursday or and say, "I need a verse. I need a verse. I need a verse." You got to find your own verse. Amen. I, I started a series a few weeks ago, a month ago, called Healing Basics. And uh, today I'm going to continue that message. If you missed the first four parts. I want you just to be aware of that. They're available to you. You can get caught up if you want. But there has been a, some groundwork laid prior to today's message about the basics of healing. There are so many, many people today, even Christians today, that are ignorant of God's healing word, his healing power, how to enjoy it and benefit from it. And so I'm, I'm teaching this series to, I don't know, kind of level the playing field. Some of you are already in the know and walking in it, and you're doing awesome, and others don't have a clue what I'm talking about. In fact, they're, uh, I think I said this a few weeks ago, but they're not at zero. They're like at a deficit. They're like minus five. <laughs> and the reason for that is, is not just a lack of teaching, but wrong teaching, and this subject is throughout the Word of God. And, and, and so in addition to teaching what I have over the last few weeks, I want to also uh, remove obstacles, okay? Blow away barriers that hinder people's faith from enjoying and receiving God's best in this area, okay? Um, one of those barriers that I want to get into today, one of those barriers is the inaccurate explanation of what the scriptures refer to as uh, as Paul's thorn in the flesh, okay? That's a real thing, that's a real saying, and some have interpreted that in a really disastrous way, and the end result is people are stuck. They don't experience more freedom or victory, they experience less. And so I know this, um, that individuals who oppose divine healing for all are usually quick to mention this passage of scripture that we're going to read. And they will say, or uh, say, you know, outright or, or imply that if God wouldn't heal Paul, then he may not heal you. Yeah. If Paul got sick and God told him no, how do you know he's going to tell you yes? But I'm, I'm asking the question, is that really what went down there? Is that really what happened to Paul? That he got sick and God declined his request? Now watch, if you've been in the previous parts of this series, you know that's impossible. 
it's impossible. You can't, God can't go back to the cross and remove the stripes from Jesus. He can't undo what he already did. And I know if this is new to you, this will sound extreme, but that's okay. I won't shock you into, into, into life. It is impossible for God to decline someone in regards to healing. It's not possible for him to say no to someone in that regard. And the reason is, without teaching it again, is because he said yes 2,000 years ago. And he's not like people today, you know, yes, no, maybe. You can't ever count on them. When God does something, it's done. He himself doesn't undo it. Even the, you know, a person with integrity will, will, will uh, uh, how does it say it in Proverbs? They will swear to their own hurt and change not. That means if I promise you something, I tell you I'm going to do something, even if it, my circumstances change and now I can't afford to do it or something, what I was going to do, I'm going to do it anyway because I got my word on it. Yeah, God is that way, you know, 100%, completely pure. What he's done, he has done. Because of that, because of the fact of what he has already done for us in Christ, uh, he cannot then... Let me say it this way. There are no verses, no passages in the scripture that contradict what he already did. If I think they do, I'm misunderstanding something. All right? And we know this principle. We don't want to interpret the fuzzy passages, if you will, um, as a standalone um, subject. If something looks unclear, find the clear ones, then go back to the unclear ones. I would not build a doctrine about healing around Paul's thorn in the flesh. I would go to the clear, sub, the clear verses on that subject, which I have already. Yeah. At the same time, if it weren't for the misteaching, I wouldn't even bring this subject up in this series because it doesn't even apply. I'm like taking a total diversion here. <laughs> healing, 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 and now I'm going to talk about something totally different. But the reason I'm doing it is because it's been interpreted that way. And I don't want to give the enemy place in, in, in my life, in your life, to, to make this kind of exception. Yes, Jesus died for all. Yes, he paid the price. He suffered, you know, those stripes for your healing. Well, except for you. Well, not this time, because you're the exception. It's different in this, in this situation. Yeah, that's true for most of the people, most of the time, but now you're kind of like Paul. And I want to show you how that is so bogus. That is the wrong way to think, and it's the enemy trying to keep us out of victory. And that's how he works. I mean, the enemy works this way, not only in receiving the blessings of God, but in even righteous living. You ever, ever notice if you're tempted to do something wrong that there's always deception tied to it? Have you ever done anything wrong? And then right before you did it, you thought it was the right thing to do? Even though you knew better, it's like, well, maybe not. Maybe it's okay. Sometimes it might be when you're angry. It just feels so good to blast them. You know, to let someone have it. I gotta set them straight. And at the moment, you thought you were righteous and holy and then when you got away from the deception of the moment and the, the emotion of the time, you thought, that wasn't God at all. That was flesh. But in the moment, it seemed good. 
People do that with sexual relationships. In the moment, oh, this is God's blessing, this extramarital affair. It's just his way of providing my needs. See, see, the devil will trick people to get them to act wrong. And he'll trick people when it comes to his promises of healing and say, there's an exception in your case. Everybody still with me? Anybody? I'm glad I had that little word earlier so no one can run out because, uh, I mean, that was not planned. Second Corinthians chapter 12, I want you to notice with me, we'll read three verses, seven through 10. Paul writing here, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Verse 8, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak then I am strong. Okay, so we want to define this thing called thorn in the flesh. Now, what's interesting to me is he uses that phrase and immediately defines it. Without even taking a breath, he says, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan. All right, so we wouldn't be confused like all these years later. And people are. Thorn in the flesh, what? Messenger of Satan. Not sickness from Satan. Not sickness from God. Messenger from Satan. So his trouble here is not something from God, and it is not sickness or a disease yeah we can go home now no I'm just, <laughs> I'll elaborate more so you can understand there is some real cool things in here but uh, know this the the word messenger is the Greek word angelos it is translated most of the time as angel so it would not be incorrect to say that there was given unto me a thorn in the flesh an angel from Satan Okay, an angel is a messenger from Satan to, to, to buffet him, okay? Now, like I said, the subject say, where's sickness and disease? It's not in there. It's not even mentioned. However, this is one reason that people think that it is, is because if you read verse 9, he mentions the word infirmities. He said, I will boast in my infirmities. And so, logical people think, at least in our English language, we think infirmity. Oh, infirmary, sickness, disease. I'm boasting in my physical problems, which seems odd, by the way, that you would ever do that. But infirmity. And so people have translated that and said, oh, okay, so the thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan is really a physical infirm infirmity, all right? And what that word means there is, is interesting as well because in the right context, infirmity can mean a disease. It can mean a sickness, but here it doesn't. And in other places it doesn't. Basically what the word means is 
weakness or inadequacy. I'm boasting in my inability, my weakness, my inadequacy, and, and then so he can rely on Christ. Uh, but that word, Paul wrote this. He also wrote the book of Romans, okay, Romans 8. He used the same language over there when he was talking about prayer. And uh, in Romans chapter 8, you might recall, he said, the Holy Spirit helps our infirmities or weaknesses, Different translations will use different words, but it's the same Greek word as it's used here. The Holy Spirit helps our weaknesses for when we know not what to pray for as we ought, the Spirit himself makes intercession for us. The Spirit himself, in other words, the weakness in that verse is obviously not a physical problem. It's a knowledge issue. He said, we ha he helps our weaknesses. What's your weakness? I don't know what to pray. There's, I just don't, I don't have the words. I don't have the enough information to pray accurately. So the Holy Spirit helps us. And that's when we pray things out in the spirit, right? Okay, same word. So when Paul says here, I'm boasting in my infirmities, that's what he's talking about, his weaknesses. Say, well, what are his infirmities? It's real easy to understand this. You don't have to know Greek or Hebrew or Aramaic or Latin Spanish, French, you just have to read the context, yeah? And here's the context. You just go back a few verses. It's chapter, it's chapter 11. We'll put that up, up on the screen, verse 25. He, these are Paul's infirmities. He says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils... Perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. Go down to verse 30, then. Or don't. If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. Did anybody see disease in there any, anywhere in that list? No, that wasn't what he was dealing with. That wasn't his struggle. His infirmity had nothing to do with a physical problem of that nature. His problem was people. <laughs> his problem was all the uh, persecution that, that he was dealing with. To call this thorn in the flesh then sickness would be totally out of context and incorrect. He's speaking of persecution and hardships that came as a result of him preaching the gospel. Amen. Now, uh, it's interesting as well that, that this phrase, um, thorn in the flesh, that phrase, thorn in the flesh, is a, a terminology used, this, this figure of speech used in their day, it was common. In the Bible, it's common to use language like that, very similar to that. We do the same thing in our day. You may use that exact phrase. Uh, one thing that's been common in our era is to call something a pain in the neck. You don't do that, though. Call people that, right? <laughs> but, you know, it, it could be referring to a person. It could be referring to a situation, right? And in, in his situation that Paul was writing, that's basically what he's saying. All this stuff I've gone through, give me a break. Man, what a pain, what a thorn in my flesh this has been. 
Now, lest you just, you know, take my word for it, let me give you a couple verses on this and just show you how this is used in Scripture. And Paul was an expert in Scripture. He was an expert in the Old Testament with the Old Covenant Scriptures. Here's what Numbers 33, 55 tells us. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of, of the land from before you, then it shall be that those whom you let remain shall be irritants in your eyes and thorns in your sides, and they shall harass you in the land where you dwell. Who, who's going to be that to them? People were, the Canaanites that they were supposed to drive out of the land. He said, if you don't, they're going to be what? Irritants in your eyes. You know, think if Paul would have used what would have used that saying instead. Irritants in your eyes. How many know people would have turned that into a disease just like that in our day? And by the way, they have. People have thought that Paul had an eye disease, and that's what he's talking about. Irritants, okay, were the Canaanites literally in their eyes? Because that would be irritating. Were they literally thorns in their sides? No, he's talking about how they would be an annoyance and an irritants to them. But that's where the language comes from. Here's another one. Joshua 23, 13. Know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out the nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps to you and scourges on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. So in this case, the thorns move from the side to the eye. <laughs> so now there's a thorn in the eye. You can see how they use this language to kind of... Uh, you know, give some feeling to the message because it, it meant something to those who were listening. Judges 2 gives another one. They, were, they shall be thorns in your side. So Paul, knowing this language, and anyone that, was, that had studied the Old Testament, they were familiar with this type of verbiage. And so he basically described his experience with his angelic dude from Satan going around stirring up trouble everywhere he went. He said, man, this is a thorn in my flesh. Everybody with me today? So uh, this, that phrase, thorn in the flesh or thorn in the side or scourge in your eye, those things never referred to a physical, issue, a physical sickness or disease. Never. It just never was. They didn't use it that way. They didn't attach that phrase to those type of problems. I know some may, may possibly even say, well, I think that what Paul was saying about flesh was a literal flesh problem, meaning the body. It really, it was a physical problem, okay? Well, if that's true, if the word flesh is literal, then how many know the word thorn is also literal? You can't have it one way or the other. And if Paul literally had a thorn in his flesh, what should he do? He should probably just pull it out. I mean, we're smart enough to do that, right? Thorn in the flesh, am I going to pray about that three times? No, before I even hit my knees to pray, I'm going to pull it out, right? I'm going I'm to get that thing out because that is irritable. It's painful. And so it, it wasn't a literal thorn and it wasn't literal flesh. It was persecution from people. And think about it. Are, are we redeemed from persecution? We're redeemed from the curse of the law, right? We're redeemed from death, hell, and the grave. We're redeemed from all the curse and all this kind of stuff, including sickness and disease, but not persecution. In fact, we even have a promise about it. 
Yeah. You want this one, one to confess daily? <laughs> uh, it's 2 Timothy 3.12. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So Paul was one for sure who was living godly in Christ Jesus. And what did he suffer? It seemed like way more than average and for sure way more than the average Christian. He suffered persecution. He was persecuted from morning to sundown, it seems, and he went through a large amount of trouble, but that's what it was. In other words, this is not something you can just rebuke. This is not something you can just cast out. <laughs> I, I command this persecution to stop in Jesus' name. Well, that's not really a verse. And he didn't do that because he knows that's not a verse. He was one writing a lot of the verses. <laughs> and, and you can't just stop that. In fact, just the opposite, the more you live for God more persecution. Say, well, I haven't been persecuted. <laughs> the word he used here, that the messenger of Satan, Satan was sent to buffet him, or as some like to say, buffet him. <laughs> How many of y'all suffered at the buffet? <laughs> It's a real problem for me. Buffet in my body. Now, buffet, it literally means, it means to strike with the fists. Okay? To strike with the fists. The messenger of Satan was sent to buffet him. The picture is someone tagging you. Bam! Now, obviously, a demon, evil spirit is not physically, because they're in the spirit, but he did get physical beatings, was stirring up people to hit him, stirring up people to give him trouble. And the tense of the word is not a one-time event. I had a bad day. I had a tough week. What Paul was dealing with is everywhere he goes, people are all stirred up and angry and attacking him. And he's thrown in jail and he's persecuted and he's beaten with rods. This is severe stuff. And he had about enough. He's saying, help He's calling on the Lord, say, what is the deal? Man, I don't know if I can deal with this. This is hard. And he's feeling weak. That's his infirmity. He's feeling like he's insufficient. Something interesting to me about the Lord's response is that so many times, and his response is, if you remember, we read it, my grace is sufficient for you, is that I have heard that explained interpreted as God saying no. I've heard preachers, I mean real people, <laughs> say this. First they imply that his thorn was a physical sickness. And then they say, he pled with God three times that, it would, that God would take it away. And God said, no, Paul, no, Paul, no, Paul. And I want to scream when I hear that. I'm thinking, you call God's grace? No. You have zero concept of what that means. God's grace is as far from a no as you can get. How many know Ephesians 2.8? For by grace, by what? Grace, you have been saved. If God's grace is no, I'm toast in eternity because his grace saved me. God's grace is his method of getting his ability into you. It's his divine 
uh, way, method of getting weakness out of you and strength into you. When we celebrate the grace of God, we are, we are saying it's unmerited, it's unearned, it saved me, it lifted me. I'm functioning in the grace of God right now to teach. Without his grace upon me, there's no chance I could do what I do. I am leaning, heavy leaning on the ability of God. To, and you do too. You do more than you realize it. And so... No, the grace of God is not a no. His grace is his ability and power. It's Christ's strength that removes weakness. When we lack the strength to overcome in any situation, we can also say, because the Lord gave him that word, we can use it. The grace of God is sufficient for me. His grace is enough. His grace enables me to be strong in the middle. His grace enables me to be, a, to be a, more than a conqueror through him. Not more than a conqueror through me. That's the opposite message. More than a conqueror through him. At the end of this discussion, Paul said, for when I am weak, then I am strong. You ever heard that misquoted? It's a, it's a wrong theology that makes people misquote that. It's like the theology of spirit, soul, and body when people say body, soul, and spirit. Instead of spirit, soul, and body, that means they're fleshly-minded. They put the body first. These things sneak out in our words. People's mentality. In this case, people say, well, when I am weak, then he is strong. I've even seen it, seen it put in songs. People declare, when I'm weak, then he's strong. Listen, he's strong no matter what you are. You could be weak or strong or in the middle or just a big fat zero. He's still strong. Period. Like we should be settled in that. <laughs> what he did say is when I am weak, then I am strong. Why is Paul strong when he's weak? Because he's not leaning on self, but leaning on the grace of God. And if we could, in ourselves, we are all insufficient and we are incapable and don't have enough. But if we will learn to lean on the grace of God on the inside, I tell you, it is an absolute big fat yes to you of God's overcoming strength being infused into your being. His answer to Paul was, you know what? You're just going to, was not, it was not. You're just going to have to learn to deal with this. Just learn to live with it. That is not the Lord's answer here. Amen. Sometimes see people say, well, I just want a yes or no answer. <laughs> Stop it. Whose, whose terms are we on here? Your terms or God's terms? The answer of my grace is a great answer. It's a perfect answer for when we are weak. Amen. Let me answer one more thing. Uh, address one more part of this, this passage. At the very beginning, Paul states this, and uses this, this language, lest I should be exalted above measure. In fact, he uses the phrase twice. Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations. Now, this is a phrase that some, some modern translations have messed with this. And they have substituted that language of exaltation for pride. But all words need to be, need to be understood in context. And people have believed this, okay, maybe you have, that 
where they say, Paul was getting lifted up in pride. And so God gave him or Satan did or God allowed it or some kind of confusing mess. God gave him this thorn in the flesh to take him down a notch. I want to explain to you why that cannot be the case. Paul being exalted above measure was not a bad thing. It was a good thing. If it were not a good thing, why is Satan sending his henchmen there to follow him around in his ministry and stir up trouble? If Paul was getting all lifted up in pride, Satan would just step back and say, you have at it, man. But the fact is, being exalted above measure was something Satan opposed and God wanted. Here's the, here's, here's the way this works. Exaltation is not a bad thing. Self-exaltation is a bad thing. That's proud. That's being arrogant and proud. Exaltation by itself is a God thing. Do you know that he wants to exalt you? He wanted Paul to be exalted. He wants you to be exalted. So how do you know he wants uh, to exalt us or lift us up? Because he gave us the recipe. It's in uh, 1 Peter 5, verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. If God didn't want you to be exalted, he wouldn't have given you the recipe. Yeah, he just wants it to happen the right way. Not, not self-exaltation, but through humility, he wants to lift you up. Did, Paul, did God want Paul to be exalted above measure? Absolutely he did. And here's basically what that means. Lest I be exalted above measure or lest I do more than everybody, lest my ministry be so effective and so powerful and so far-reaching that so many people are swept into the kingdom, Satan sent this messenger after me. Think of it this way. If we took 10 people to the gym to, to, to work on bench press, and, and the first nine got in there and they, they were lifting their, the most they could. And let's say they all were right about 200 pounds. Get all bench press about 200 pounds. And then the last guy gets up there and it starts loading on the plates. 800 pounds. And he goes. I mean, no, that guy is exalted above measure. He is going beyond the usual way beyond average, yeah? In Major League Baseball, you know, the average starting pitcher uh, can throw about 92 miles per hour, okay? So average guy throwing. What if someone gets up there, a uh, new pitcher gets up and starts throwing 115? You're like, I want that guy on my team. <laughs> I don't want to bat against him. Well, he is going way beyond the normal, way beyond average. He's throwing far faster than the average pitcher. That is basically what this phrase means here. Paul, lest he be exalted above measure, going way beyond the norm, doing way more than everything else, Satan sent him a messenger to try to slow him down. And think about this. What was the thing that caused the exaltation above measure? He said it was the abundance of revelation. Basically, Paul was seeing more. He understood more. He had been to heaven and back. He explains that in this same chapter. 
He had been to heaven. He had seen. He had revelation knowledge. He was writing the books, many of the New Testament books. He, he had so much revelation, which how many know what's the result of that? It's called so much freedom in people's lives. Victory. He's proclaiming it. He's teaching it. God is confirming it with signs following. He had so much revelation that he was having a major impact. Now consider that for a moment. If revelation knowledge produces pride, what is God doing setting up Paul to fail? Because you can't give yourself a revelation. It's the Lord pulling the veil back and letting you see inside. God revealed, revealed, revealed. And he said, oh, by the way, because I've shown you this, I'm going to have to let the devil come attack you every city you go to. <laughs> no, no, that's not how it works. Amen. At the same time, let me remind you this again. Uh, Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you. Do you give grace to proud people or humble people? If you are full of pride, the Lord would never say to you, I'm giving you some extra grace. Right? In fact, I'll give you a verse. You know it, James 4 verse 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he said, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So Paul was not struggling with pride. He was so effective, doing so much more than everybody else. And Satan was trying to stop him. Pride has to do with believing something that's wrong, a lie about yourself. Obadiah 3 said, the pride of your heart has deceived you. Pride is when someone thinks more highly of themselves when they ought to. When revelation comes, you see things clearer than you ever have before. And I tell you, you are not going to come away from a time when God shows you amazing things proud. When you see him the way he is, you see yourself in light of that revelation, you're going to come out saying, I'm in awe. I'm humbled. I stand in awe of his awesome majesty and glorious power and the amazing love that he's given me. These revelations brought humility, not pride. Amen. If ever someone thought, again, the thing that Paul said was the reason for his uh, being exalted above measure was the abundance of revelations. And if someone said, well, I think I might just be like Paul. Well, how many revelations do you have? Talk to me about the amazing insights you have into the kingdom of God. You know, a lot of times people who are thinking that, it's the devil planning that thought. They don't even qualify for a thorn. They don't have been to heaven and back. They don't know the, th you don't even, know. And at the same time, the thorn wasn't sickness and disease anyway. And that's where the lie comes in. When you're struggling with an attack, you have symptoms in your body and something hurts or you've been diagnosed and the enemy comes at you and say, well, you're kind of like Paul. You just have to deal with this thorn. And the Lord said no to Paul. So he might say no to you. Blah, blah. That is so wrong. That is not what Paul taught. He's contradicting his very own words if he said that. He's confused. But the reality is, that is a lie. That is a twisting of Scripture that keeps people from fully believing in what Jesus did for them personally. Amen. Praise God. Father, thank you for working in us today.